back to butter butter with that. I already <laughs> fucked up the first line. Um, well, it's too late. It's staying in. It's staying in. Here we go. Um, we are doing this month superhero month and have had some great conversations going over Hellboy, Buckaroo Banzai. Um, so we're onward and upward. Um, but before we get into superhero month, let's begin with some shout outs. <laughs> I didn't even say what this is. People know what this is, right? The movie? Podcast. Friends get together, talk about movies in Philadelphia. Well, they think we're friends. Did you say... Friends. Friends. Did you say butter with that? I said welcome back. She did. And I mispronounced it. Well, I disassociated to that, so sorry, Christine. So clearly we're doing great so far. (laughs) What a day. Auspicious beginning. (laughs) Sam, uh, do you have any shout outs? Yeah, so um, kind of wrapping up our 90s month where we posted a picture of all of our baby pictures from the 90s. Did you say all of our babies? (laughs) All of our babies. All of our babies. babies. Mm. Um, The last one to go was a picture of me and my friend Becca got it. So, Becca, thank you for knowing mini Sam Hunter. So, bless. Thank you. That picture is amazing. (laughs) I smile exactly the same way with, like, my tongue in front of my teeth. I don't know why, but let's not talk more about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I believe Connor uh, has another email. Another email. I don't have to cry myself to sleep at night anymore for another week. (laughs) Yay. Uh, Another email from our friend Zoe. Um, currently traveling Southeast Asia. Hey, butter buddies. <laughs> I don't really know if I like that, but here we go. I just listened to your latest episode, and I've never seen X Men Apocalypse, but I have a hard time imagining it's worse than the Daredevil movie. Thoughts, hmm. Zoe? I haven't Dare- seen either of them. Daredevils of a time and place, of the, called the early two thousands, which we discussed extensively a few episodes ago. The Cheeto Mountain Dew top hat wearing bro time hanging yeah. out. You got Ben Affleck. Being is Ben Affleck. Not Top Hat. You're right. Fedora. Fedora? Fedora. You're right. Um, Daredevil's terrible, but most superhero movies of the early 2000s were terrible. That's Uh, very true. X-Men Apocalypse. There have been many good X-Men movies to learn from. Brian Singer even directed a few of them. So the fact that he came back to direct X-Men Apocalypse uh, after making Days of Future Past, after making X1, X2, it's like, you should know better. And getting Oscar Isaac to be Apocalypse and giving him a really shit role... It's a really huge, huge crime. Yeah, how dare you misuse Oscar Isaac. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And make him all purple and not have him be goofy or interesting. Lame. All he does is make people, like, mesh in the walls. That's, like, his only power. And he can give people wings. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty that cool power. That is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's something. What I like, I like the idea of just like meshing people into walls when they're in my way or something. That sounds awesome. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Like elbows and people on both sides. You know, when there are just too many people everywhere, you're like, mm-hmm. Get everyone leave. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch that movie, but that's not. The, he, that, that, he's, he's the all powerful mutant, and that's all I can do is push people in the walls. Lame. Lame. And turn them. I guess he turns them to sand sometimes. That's legit. I Don't defend really, X-Men Fox. I'm sorry. I haven't even seen this movie, so. Um, well, uh, thank you for that email. And please, any other me- emails, keep them coming. Yeah. We love your insights. We will always respond. Um, yeah, What's so our email? Our email is butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. Word. No numbers, no fancy designs. Nope. Our Twitter is at Butter with that one. But. Yeah, it's the only one with a number. And I don't think we use it that much either. No, but we'll probably start doing that. Yeah, maybe. 
Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram at Photo With That. So be sure to follow us and leave comments on our photos, and you can get a shout out yourself potentially. Yeah, we got a slot open for you. We know you're out it's there. Very exciting. Uh, has Has anyone seen any good movies recently? Um, I saw Shazam yesterday morning. How was it? I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was so fun. Um, I thought it was like a very much like a standout superhero movie, much like seeing like Spider-Verse. Um, and uh, the guy who directed it, I guess, has like done horror stuff in the past. He did like the Annabelle movie, I think Annabelle Creation. <laughs> Uh, which I haven't seen, but like the um, villain um, creepy effects were like really good. Like they're very creepy, like monsters in it. I think he also did Lights Out. Oh yeah, he did Lights Out. You're Ooh, right. That was rough. Uh, yeah, I've heard it's rough, but um, yeah, like you know, it was definitely a movie where like I remember growing up and seeing stuff that was like slightly too adult, you know, and like this kind of felt like one of those movies. Um, but it was it was really fun. The acting was really good. It was very, very cute. There's like a lot of like heartwarming family stuff in it. That's nice. So, um, yeah, I was surprised by how much I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie, actually. Uh, recommend to see in theaters or wait till it comes on Netflix? Um, I had a lot of fun seeing it in theaters, mostly because like and this has happened like this happened when I saw Mar Captain Marvel, too, where uh, there were some kids next to me and they were just screaming and cheering and like super stoked Aww. the whole time, which like I, is like one of my favorite things to see in a movie now when kids are just like yeah go like shazam or whoever you are you know you're like yeah okay i yeah i've only heard good things mm -hmm. about it yeah that's awesome yeah it's like nice knowing that those are like kids movies that are coming out right now you know it's like cool thinking about kids growing up with stuff like that and another philly movie that's film not really? filmed in Philly. Not oh, filmed yeah. in Philly, but mm. takes place in Philly. There's like some dumb corporation that they show, and like I forget what it is. It's got like a super generic name. And Mock you, cast. And Garrett's like, yes, of course, we all know this in Philadelphia. Also, SEPTA, they like got the name, but not the logo. So it's red and it looks weird. Mm. Oh boy. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that's just like, ugh. They do make a Rocky reference too while they're sitting on the steps of the art museum. That's like frustrating, but. That's like the easiest thing to do. I know. I, it really is. But, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. Nice. That's great. Anyone else? Not. Well, so a few weeks ago I talked about watching Discovery of Witches. I finished it. I mean, <laughs> it's garbage, but God, I'm so addicted to it. Um, and the one of the guys in there, his name is Matthew Good. He's a great actor. Ooh, and, Downton yeah. Matthew Good? Downton, Downton Matthew Good. <laughs> yes, but. In various other things, and so my friend who I watched Discovery of Witches with, we started, like, watching other movies that he's been in, and there's this one that is, it is what it is. It serves its purpose. It's Leap Year, starring Amy Adams. Oh, you know, yes. It's... It's something. It's not good, but he's hot and Irish in it. Exactly. So. And he's, like, also kind of angry a lot, which is kind of perfect. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Is he not always that. Irish? No, he's not always Irish. Oh. He's not Irish- Really at all, except in that movie. Which I'm not, I wasn't even certain. I'm like, I've heard him with like an English accent, an Irish accent, I don't know. It's like James McAvoy, I was confused for a while. Uh, yeah. He was in the remake of Brideshead Revisited, and he was pretty mm. good. Um, he was in Watchmen too. I, I like totally. He pops up everywhere. Fuck, he was blonde. Yeah. Oh, was he uh -huh. Ozymandias? Yes. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot because he was blonde. <laughs> it doesn't fit. No, not at all. Did you guys like Watchmen? Anybody see it? Mm -mm. I remember uh, liking yeah. it back in the that day. That was all right. I also yeah. remember liking it back in the day, but I remember it was too long, and I feel like that is still probably true. <laughs> that was that was the first movie where I was like, oh, the comic is so much better, and I felt like such a loser for saying that. 
Well, I, that was not an unpopular opinion. Yeah, I was like, I pretty much, I feel like that's what I have heard from most people that watched it. Yeah, because I've heard what the comic book like ending is, and I thought that was pretty dope. I kind of prefer the movie one a little more. It's like a lot neater and like it makes sense, more sensible. I don't know, but there's so much more. Um, what's but I like name? creatures, you know. Yeah, into creatures. Creatures are good. Yeah. Um, Game of Thrones first two episodes have premiered. No spoilers, but they're super good. Uh, I think they've been underwhelming. Oh. Ooh. Wow. I haven't watched them yet, so I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Godzilla movies. I would just love to hear you I guys like monsters. Duke, duke this out, but like in the vaguest way possible. <laughs> <laughs> so that one part didn't think it was as successful, mm-hmm. but but then Why? there's that other part. All the while, the Game of Thrones scores. I mean, if you want to hear a Game of Thrones mini episode at some point, I'd be more than happy to talk about that on air. Got with that? Wait. Ooh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, yes, that's Sam. Yes. Butter is coming. <laughs> the butter oh, no. is coming. Oh, my God. Oh, man. <laughs> the posters we could make. <laughs> Somebody write this down. Um, well, it's captured right here, right now. Can someone sculpt a throne out of butter? That's a thing people <laughs> do, right? It's done, right? Someone's had to do that. Someone's I'm had sure. to do There's a Netflix movie oh. called Butter that Alyssa really loves. Hmm. I bet that, It's a weird yeah. movie. Is it? Do you like it? It's okay. It's really weird, though. <laughs> So that's all I've been watching. Nice. Dave, see any good movies? Um, not or bad movies? Or middle of the road movies? <laughs> any well, I was just downstairs <laughs> watching uh, some of The Silence with um, with my housemates. Um, for is those... that the new wannabe quiet the place movie? I was going to say, for those uninitiated, yeah, yeah it is basically... Uh, they're pterodactyls. Uh, little pterodactyls that uh, hunt by sound oh. in a, a format where in a... A family is trying to uh, evade and escape them with um, their deaf daughter. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, also, who's it's the who's the main guy in it? Oh, uh, Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Yeah. What the Stanley fuck is Stanley Tucci? And, and Sabrina from uh, the Children of Sabrina yeah. and Aunt Zelda from it. He's also in it too. Stanley Tucci. He pops wow. up. Wow. All right. It was. Uh, it's bad. Oh, it was so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was bad. It's okay. Bad. It's very bad. Um. Well. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> uh, I watched uh, Kronos by Guillermo del Toro. Ooh, his yeah. First Did you movie. like it? I mm. loved it. It's so interesting. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. And after our discussion about Hellboy, I was like, I really would love to watch his first movie. Mm-hmm. And it's less, um, it doesn't have like his fantastical characters. It's more like sort of vampire story, sort of maybe b- biblical allegory thing going yeah. on, horror. But you can see the origins of all the creatures that he'll eventually make. Yeah. And I thought it was so good. And yeah, there's just that little fucking thing. That that scarab beetle kind of thing that yeah. just clasps into the skin and then pierces your blood mm-hmm. and then it makes you live yeah. forever in bloodthirsty. Spoilers. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, you pretty much catch it in the trailer. <laughs> Anyhow, the I would highly recommend that. <laughs> um, how, how can we watch it? Uh, well, it, it is a Criterion Collection movie, so it used to be on Hulu, but I think Criterion has their own streaming. No, that's now, how I yeah. watched it. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. I've signed up for the Criterion. Ooh, I've been um, thinking about doing that. So, yeah. If, yeah, it's we're, I'm splitting it with a friend, so... <laughs> What says more about 21st century friendship than sharing mm-hmm. streaming passwords? Connor yeah. and I might share a, uh, uh, what's it, what is it? CBS All CBS, Access. yeah. We want to watch the Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. We really want to watch the Twilight Zone. 
All right, well, so today's episode, we're gonna be talking about the movie Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, um, along with our superhero theme. This movie is actually a recommendation from Connor. So I, my understanding of the superhero universe is not that deep and complex, but a book that I had read recently um, called The Secret Life of Wonder Woman by Jill Lepore was a book that was so good and got me so fascinated about the creator um, of of Wonder Woman that Connor actually said that there was a movie about um, the creation of the character of Wonder Woman. So I decided to watch this movie for the first time and I'm so excited to to talk about it with you all. Um, this is a movie that came out in 2017, so just about the same time that the movie Wonder Woman did mm-hmm. Wonder Woman come out in seven, 2017 too? It, yes. Huh. Yeah, so really right alongside huh. um, DC's Wonder Woman. Which is kind of a wonderful coincidence for this movie. Mm-hmm. So the director, Angela Robinson, had been working on this movie for eight years prior, and it just so happened that it would come out um, and coincide with the release of Wonder Woman. Before we do a deeper dive into the plot, into, well... <laughs> Let's. I'll just give a kind of uh, just a quick overview of the movie, and then turn it over to Tori, who watched the trailer. So basically, the movie depicts the uh, creation of the Wonder Woman comic. Um, it focuses on the polyamorous relationship of um, this guy William Marston, who uh, was a professor at um, at Radcliffe, who with his wife Elizabeth. Um, We're working on developing this lie detector machine, and he teaches classes, um, and one of his students, Olive Byrne, he falls in love with, Elizabeth falls in love with her as well, and so the movie follows their their relationship and how Marston draws on um, his relationship with these two women as inspirations for the character of Wonder Woman. Um, what will eventually be the comics or the, uh, the graphic novel comic strip series. Uh, but the movie also plots the challenges that they face in a movie that uh, certainly otherizes them, ostracizes them, and also uh, challenges that, that he faces from censorship. Oh my gosh. Censorship boards um and the comic industry so um i will throw it over to tori who watched the trailer i did which i really want to watch this movie now um so yeah i actually remember when the trailer came out because i was very confused as to this tie to like wonder woman and everything and i just kind of like i feel bad because i kind of forgot about it like you know with wonder woman and like other stuff coming out so i kind of just like fell by the wayside. I never really thought about it again until you guys kept bringing it up. And I was like, for some reason, that's familiar. (laughs) Um, So the trailer was like pretty much what I remembered it. But, um, you know, it opens where he is under like trial or whatever, like from this like board um, of people who are just talking about Wonder Woman is like all it has is like violence, torture and sadomasochism, which 
for me, like thinking about like Wonder Woman, it I was like, that doesn't seem like that's true. Like, cause it came out of the forties and like everything was like, yay America, like very much like Captain America and stuff, you know, where it's just like a very patriotic kind of thing. Um, so it's interesting because then you see it does have these ties. They like cut back and forth between like you know, images of, like, Wonder Woman and, like, people who are, like, dressing up, um, you know, like, these, like, kind of kink society that they, like, stumble upon and become more of a part of, and you see them, like, tying each other up next to pictures of, like, Wonder Woman, like, with ropes around people, and so then you do see that there's this, like, connection between these things, which I didn't know anything about, so that was kind of cool, um, and then, uh, who plays the woman on the board? I always forget. Oh, Connie, Connie Britton. Britton. Yeah, <laughs> you see her and she says, um, well, why does she have a secret identity? Uh, and in response, he just said basically to like, hide, she has to hide herself from a man's world, um, which was like a very awesome quote, I thought, um, and made a lot of sense because like, you don't hear that question asked about why male superheroes would need a secret identity or something. So, um, yeah, the trailer like cuts back and forth. You definitely realize there is this relationship that it's hard to say like in the trailer how deep it actually went. And apparently, you know, it was like a long term, much like loving, like deep relationship that again, I didn't really know much about. So um, it definitely gives you like hints as to like what you're going to to be like seeing. And most of it is about like this relationship. Uh, but then at the end, you kind of see that like image of like the one woman dressed as Wonder Woman, um, which was pretty cool, too. So, um, yeah, I thought the, they did a really good job. And Connor told me this is on Hulu, too, because I know we're trying to remember to say where it's streaming. Yes, so, it's yes. on Hulu. Good call. On Hulu. It's been on Hulu for like a year and a half now, so I don't think it's going away anytime cool. soon. Awesome. Yeah, so that's the trailer. Awesome. Thanks, Tori. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor, what were the reviews like for this movie? Uh, this is a fun movie to look up reviews for because it felt like a lot of people were sort of split on how they felt about this movie. Uh, the Metacritic is at 68 out of 100. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes critic percentage is 87%, so it's certified fresh, and the audience is at 78%. And the Rotten Tomatoes overview of criticism is Professor Marston, The Wonder Women, um, wins, winds a lasso of cinematic truth around a fascinating fact-based tale with strong performances from its three stars. Um, I want to start with the negative reviews about this. Yeah, uh, generally, it. with the negative Rotten Tomatoes reviews, um, you know, they mainly thought that it was an interesting story trapped in a dull-looking, overproduced period drama that tried to cover too much ground. Hmm. Um, so some standout, some just kind of like excerpts I pulled from various people's reviews. This is from Peter De Bruges in Variety. Uh, this is arguably the phoniest film you'll see all year, marred by clumsy direction, over obvious acting, and a wooden script that skews what was so radical about the thruples arrangement into something tame and downright boring. Hmm. Seems pretty harsh, and I'm, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that one there. Uh, another one I found, uh, which is from The Wrap, um, celebrates, so this movie celebrates the bravery and creativity of Diana Prince's mastermind and his muses, but with a tepidness toward the complications of their lives. The result is a gauzy sex ode to unconventionality that feels distinctly and disappointingly conventional. Um, I know later on we're going to talk about why this movie sort of has the style of a 1940s period drama. 
Um, and so I'm excited to talk about that because I feel like people were sort of conflicted about, well, why are you making something that's so conventional feeling about this unconventional story when I feel like the director, what was her name again? Uh, Angela Robinson. When Robinson was sort of like, that's kind of the point. Like, I'm not trying to other them. I'm trying to show that, like, some normalcy in their relationship to not be, like, make them out to be a freak show, but to make them be, like, real people with, like, depth. So Mm. it's interesting that people were sort of, like, rejecting kind of her idea behind the premise of shooting the movie the way she did. Um, There were also a lot of positive reviews. Um, Kind of a lot of the positive reviews seemed to be apologetic for liking the movie. There were a lot of like two out of fives, but I'm certifying it fresh. Mm. Um, people, you know, even the negative reviews said that the performances between the three leads, um, were, uh, Luke Evans, um, Rebecca Hall and Bella Heathcote, um, Bella Heathcote, that the three of them really carry the movie. So that was a lot of it of like, Oh, this movie can be a little boring, but the three performances of those folks really carry it through. Um, one of my favorite reviews that I saw, Um, was from the New York Times, a sly and thoroughly charming Trojan horse of a movie. Professor Marson tells the story of a man who created Wonder Woman and the women who inspired him both in and out of the bed. Um, And from the Tribune News Service, in Professor Marson, the Wonder Woman, you'll discover a surprising psychology behind Wonder Woman and perhaps a newfound appreciation for her powers to crumble social norms with sensuality. Truly, this is a wonder of a movie. So I feel like I definitely fell more on the side of like the positive ones, like champion what this movie's trying to talk about and the performances that drive this film and learning about something that, as you said, Tori, I didn't really know that Wonder Woman had this interesting origin story that, um, you know, interesting off the page origin story. Thanks, Connor. Yeah. So something that uh, kind of an overarching question that I was thinking about when watching this movie and tying it into a lot of the discussions we've had that have focused on like the superheroes themselves, is how are these characters a product of the time in which they're created? Um, And how does our understanding of these characters change over time? Um, And how do the characters themselves evolve and change? Um, So I'm going to pass it over to Sam to get her thoughts uh, because she watched it. Yeah, um, a surprising movie. I did really like it. At first, I was like, oh, fucking hell. Um, I like... <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So it starts, and you're like, yes, Professor Marston is, like, chasing tail and trying to get Olive or whatever. And so I was really taken off guard, the fact that, like, Olive was definitely more about Elizabeth than she was to um, Professor Marston. What was his first name? William. William. Right. Um, So I thought that was, I was surprised by that. But ultimately, I think it was so great in showing such an effective family unit. And Tori, you were mentioning this kind of before and, Mm. and on our way here of how like communal parenting can work and how seemingly healthy those children and their relationships were. So I I really liked that aspect and thinking of it, thinking of something traditional in an untraditional way. Definitely. And going back to something that Connor had mentioned in a review that he read about this being somewhat of a Trojan horse type of movie, um, I I thought that was kind of an interesting way to put it, as in at the beginning you have this period piece in which 
the characters are in the 40s and they have great outfits and there is somewhat of a sort of a glossy sheen over the shots and over the um, the opening sequences. And maybe people don't know exactly where the story is going to go, but then it becomes an exploration of this relationship, um, uh, which might seem unconventional, um, nonconformist, but ultimately you see this family unit um, that these people that love one another raise a family. And um, William Marston actually dies by the 1950s, but uh, both Olive and Elizabeth live together as partners till the till till both oh, of them Olive die. dies yeah. in 1985. Also, Elizabeth lived to be a hundred years old. Yeah, Damn. it was like holy shit, man. I made Connor tell me like what happened. He was like, "Do you really want to know like how all this stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah," because like I was so intrigued by listening to the director and watching like those videos, and then also watching the trailer where already those characters seemed really interesting. And the fact that individually they all seemed like such smart, interesting and accomplished individuals too was like mm-hmm. really cool. Um, and something like you got from the trailer too, the one woman, the the blonde one. Olive. Olive. I was surprised as to just watching the trailer, um, how intrigued by her performance I already was. Because <clears throat> the couple like lines she has in there uh, I was like, oh, I don't really know this woman from anything, but she seems very interesting to to be watching. And I, it made me want to watch like all of them perform more, more um, because I've seen the other the other two and like several things. Luke Evans is the bad guy in Furious Six, which I just watched yesterday as well, um, which I'm assuming is probably a little bit of a different performance in, a, in this movie. <laughs> but that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think Olive's preferred. Uh, uh, Bella Heathcote's performance mm-hmm. of Olive uh, was super compelling and I think one of the harder ones because at the beginning she's kind of this ingenue. She's like the student. She's like eager to, you know. She's like the quintessential, like, oh, of course this is like the person that my like husband would like cheat with or something. Which is yeah. why I was like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. And they like kind of have that at the beginning of the trailer too, but then obviously it's like more than that. But Well, and then when um, Elizabeth says, oh, I'm, I'm your wife, not your jailer. I think that's that's a great that's a great line that sums up their entire relationship. Well, because yeah, yeah Elizabeth, the character, and Rebecca Hall's. Perf- I mean, Rebecca Hall. I f- oh, she's amazing. Mm. Um, but she gets all the zingers and she gets all the lines. Whereas Olive, I feel like it. I feel like it takes more for that performance to like show how she transforms and mm-hmm. changes throughout the throughout the movie. And you learn that her aunt is Margaret Sanger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're like, wow, you. Um, are already sort of in this world of like, like empowerment, empowerment and um, activism. Mm-hmm. And even though she wasn't raised by her mother, uh, whose sister was Margaret, still she's definitely caught, like definitely tied to mm-hmm. um, like birth control movements, suffragette movements um, of the early 20th century. Sam, I wanted to get your views on the narrative framework of the movie. So as Connor had mentioned, kind of the overarching, or I guess, Tori, you'd mentioned this in the trailer, that the overarching structure of the movie are interviews that um, Marston is uh, having with Connie Britton, who is part of this, like, childhood development board who's, yeah, interrogating Mm -hmm. about the content of Wonder Woman. How do you think that this framework of him 
sort of telling the story of these characters shapes our understanding of who the characters are and, or do you think, I guess, how does it connect to who might control the story per se? Yeah, I think that is probably, so his interviews and framing it that way is probably the weakest part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, You really get lost in time. I don't know how about anyone else feels about this, but like I definitely am too dumb to keep track of like what time period we're in. So I think like we know this is happening in the 20s or 30s or whatever. And then the the board meetings happening in like the 40s or 50s, 50s, something along those Mm -hmm. lines. It's probably early. 50s because you already hear the co- like him showing that he's yeah. sick in the no. middle of these interviews. Which I thought he had tuberculosis, so I was like, that cough, ah. that cough you're always mm-hmm. like, here, here it comes. Yeah, you see some blood, you're like, nope, I know no, what you I know what I know what this is. Um, but I do think it's a really fascinating way to tell the story of how Wonder Woman is born, essentially, because it's really like seeing that she wonder woman comes out of like two very powerful women in this dude's life and so i I, it made me think about other comic book heroes and where their inspiration came from because people pull from things that they're familiar with all the time and so if these women existed to create wonder woman like what other badass women existed to bring about some of the other characters Mm. Mm. do you think that Elizabeth and Olive break outside of this female muse role if he's drawing like do you think the movie falls outside or like if Marston is the creator and he's you know he's using these women as inspiration for what will ultimately be ultimately become the character of Wonder Woman do you think that the movie shows them as more female muse tropes, or do you think it breaks that potential pat? Like that's dynamic? a good question. When I think of like a female muse, I think of someone who is like who's not very three dimensional. Someone who is like very much up on a pedestal not really understanding who that person is. And I would say the exact opposite with Mm. Olive and Elizabeth. I think that they might be his muses, but not in the traditional way at all. I think, like, if we want to use, like, a dated terminology or dated phrase, like, they wear the pants in that situation. Um, And I would would argue that Olive does completely. And um, so I, I don't think that they fit. No, go ahead. Uh, Tori and I were talking about, as we were watching the trailer earlier, of how like, the tagline of the movie is like the story about the women behind the man who created the Wonder Woman. And I think that like really just sums up the role that these two ladies had in the creation of this figure and how the movie, maybe you know structurally, uh, Luke Evans, Marston's is our protagonist, like structurally, but it's really <clears throat> these two women are the driving force behind what he does in his life. I almost keep forgetting that all of their stories just kind of tying to like a Wonder Woman origin because like their story in general and them as people already seem so interesting to me that like I'm like oh and then I yeah like this all like spurred on this other thing which is like super cool but like I just keep thinking about what these people went through in the 40s how you know you had like two very smart accomplished like women who were like kind of radical in ways too and you know 
uh, even, you know, of course, like there's the, the sexual relationship side of that, which was like very unconventional at the time. But then also like the child rearing part of that, too, is so fascinating that like there was that one person that said like it felt like they were like jamming too much into a movie. Mm-hmm. And part of me like might be able to see that just because like, damn, that's like so much crazy social shit to like cover yeah. in, in a movie. Mm-hmm. This was one movie where I, I could have watched probably another 20 minutes of it. I, I think it's oh, like just a little over wow. 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh, nice. I think it's like Ooh, 100 minutes perfect. long. Yeah. Um, mm. So I could have, maybe? What did it matter? Anyway, I could, I, I could have been with these people for another 20 minutes mm. of just like, give me more about their life trying to be this as the one um, reviews as a thruple. Because by the time a you thruple. get to like the late 40s and early 50s, they're all living together in a home. Yeah. Um, and then sort of their excuse is that Olive is, uh, like Elizabeth's niece whose husband died something. So they're like helping raise her. Um, so I would just love to see more of like what it's like them raising their family together, which you do get, but I could have, I could have just had like more of these mm-hmm. characters cause I just really enjoyed being. I know. And I want to know movie. about their, all like, I want to know everything about their kids and mm-hmm. like what that's like too, you know? Yeah. You get like little bits and pieces. So they call them like mom and mommy and dad. So like they use those words interchangeably all the time. And then, but like. To your point, Connor, so there's one point where they sort of break up and Olive goes her separate way and she creates her own life. What the fuck was that like? Because a single Mm -hmm. mother with two children, um, I I, I don't know. We don't really hear if she gets her degree or not. I I imagine so since they meet her in college or whatever. But but I don't know because she got pregnant before she could graduate, I think. Well, and they could never actually like technically marry i don't even know if like bigamy you could still like today if you could even like technically marry a second person after you've already been married Mm. so it's just just interesting of like on top of the stigmas of being a single mother during that time Mm -hmm. and being in this you know relationship that's not socially acceptable like what is it like living with that Yeah. Mm. yeah um i've from the book, I remember there was they they had yeah they had to keep up this story like Olive's husband had died like very early on and then they were taking in the family to um, join with William and Elizabeth and then um, yeah so to keep up you know mm-hmm. keep up this pretense within their neighborhood um, I think something <clears throat> I was really thinking about in connection to this idea of how the story's told um, is how yeah who has like narrative control over how characters are depicted um i also agree that the interview portions of the movie were some of the weakest but i found that wonderfully intentional like Mm. this male character who is explaining this story uh (laughs) explaining his comic explaining sort of where these these um what the censorship boards are deeming as sort of sexually explicit, you know, where this is coming from. Yet um, you see the women who are the inspiration for this character actually having their own story and um, that there's a lot of, of fleshing out of their own story that, sort of runs parallel to him trying to tell his story and like, this is my creation and this is what I did. Um, and I think you see that even in, the, even in the way their relationship unfolds, cause there's a very pivotal scene when you definitely get sort of the, 
beginnings of the sexual tension among all three of them. Uh, but it's, I, I believe it's Olive that comes to William and Elizabeth in their like lie detector creation lab or That's whatever. That's the best scene in the whole movie. And she, she definitely feels something and it like shows up and is like kind of, I'm here, I, you know, what's going to happen? And then there's this moment of like, kind of, of like her leaving maybe this moment of her feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing here. So she Uh leaves, but then Elizabeth goes and follows her and they have a moment. They kiss. It's this beautiful moment. And then it's only after that does William come into the room. And only is it when Elizabeth like essentially invites him to their space Mm -hmm. that they actually enter in. I mean, and then there's this like sex scene and, um, Which they do like right in the middle of the school. Like, it's right. It's like on. in the theater. Uh huh. But that's such a, a great point. It's <laughs> such a great point you're bringing up, Christine. Because time and time again, I was like, I can see Olive and Elizabeth having sexual chemistry. I don't see it between Olive and William. I see William wants it, but like Olive, it felt like she wasn't that interested at all but she felt like the only way she could get elizabeth was by also Mm. accepting william and that's how i Mm. the whole movie felt yeah i i do think it focuses primarily on elizabeth's and and olive's i mean they have the most chemistry in the movie um and um and just those last shots of the real Olive and Elizabeth as like yes. old women, and they had been living together for so long. You're like, this is so beautiful. Um, and I think that there also can be some nice ambiguity in in the like in the movie as far as like the tr- interworkings of their relationship. But I think that there are some key scenes where you see them breaking outside of like sort of this. Sort of this, the power potential that William could have over mm-hmm. the over the whole scenario, over both of them um, and their relationship. And so oh, I thought that cute. was such an important. Oh my god, we're looking they at their are. picture. That's wonderful. You, you owe it to um, yourself to give it a Google. Yeah, because yeah. and and that also brings me to another question I always have is like, do we see this this person William Marston as like a feminist ally? Um, Or do we see his relationship with these women as, like, misguided? Or, like, are there some elements of him just looking to serve his own sexual appetites, you know, and create? And from that, is Wonder Woman born? Or is it kind of just a whole mess of interesting Mm. complexities? Do you think, Christine, that the movie, compared to the book, kind of, accurately portrays that relationship or because i'm just curious of because i don't know too much about the like actual historical you know background of it just based only what i know is basically from the movie itself but do you think the book sort of portrayed this relationship similarly to the movie how the movie portrayed it i think that uh the book brings up the question more frequently uh about marston kind of like what what is his his motivation. His motivation. Um, and I, what I really loved about the movie is that Angela Robinson fully embraces what might be an overly sort of rosy portrayal of their relationship, but I found it very compelling. Like, if I was going to watch, and she, uh, 
there's an interview with her uh, talking about her intentions for the movie. And she said, fundamentally, I wanted this to be a love story. And I wanted to, a movie to depict people in love and what that would look like, even within an environment and society that would not be accepting of this relationship. And what I really loved about this movie is that even if it's just very idealistically portraying it, I was like, the performances, the people depicted, I am fully uh, invested in their in their relationship and in their love. Uh, I think the mo- the book itself opens up more of a question of like, what? Yeah, what's, what's <laughs> Marston's deal? <laughs> That's such a fascinating question because Wonder Woman was, the, the movie that came out in 2017 was incredible. I loved it. It was way better than Captain Marvel. No offense, but <laughs> um, it was so great. And one of the things, Christine, you and I were talking about before we were recording is that people were saying how awesome it was to have a female director and to have a female costume designer because the outfit that Diana was wearing wasn't just there serving an overtly sexual purpose, which you saw in uh, Batman versus Superman, which you saw again in Justice League. Same thing with all the Amazons. Oh, her outfit is different in Wonder Woman compared to the other. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know that. 100% Well, and that even in the trailer for Avengers Endgame, Looked like Captain Marvel went to the makeup counter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, it, yeah, I won't derail, but yes, yeah, a similar point too of like male gaze versus right. So yeah, absolutely. Direction. And so like Wonder Woman twenty seventeen was for women by women. That's what it was, and it was so clearly seeing like like all of the women involved in creating that movie taking charge of their sexuality, but like also not being there for the female gaze. I saw, or for the male gaze, excuse me. <laughs> hey, for, for all the gaze. Yeah. yeah. Um, gaze. Um, anyway. Um, that didn't clear it up, I don't think. <laughs> no, it did not. It's fine. But um, damn, those yeah. women were fucking amazing. They were. They were so great. Yeah. And I saw this like wonderful post that talked about um, Diana rising out from the trenches during the scene where she like she just goes through no man's land by herself and it's so fucking good but the the part they were talking about is when the camera is panning up as she's moving up the ladder you don't see any unnecessary scenes of her thighs or anything else you actually see a woman like who who looks like a woman who's got like some extra like extra bits to love on her thighs like extra like this and that and that but like it shows like it was not meant to be a sexual moment whereas you know there's one scene in batman versus superman where the villain like throws her back and it's entirely sexual and it's kind Mm. of disgusting and that's Zack snyder for you well she's also like a badass uh gail gal gadot she's she's in the fast and furious franchise as well um and i mean they like definitely sexualize her but they also sexualize every single person and car in that movie so it's like (laughs) everything is sexual that's what it is It's everything. Um, Man, woman, machine. But there's, um, but like there are a couple scenes where like she does some like badass like fight stuff that's like really cool and she is like a total badass. And so I also like watching those movies now for the first time. I'm like, yeah, like I see why she is our Wonder Woman, you know, Mm -hmm. like she, she just seems like, like she's like a fucking fighter, which is cool. Go ahead, Connor. This is a bit of a tangent. Okay. Can I just wrap up? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's why. Um, 
So you have that. You have the costume for a purpose. You have her for a purpose, the scenes for a purpose. And then you have the creation of Wonder Woman being entirely different and like specifically breaking social norms Mm. of like what women should be dressed as and what they should look like and maybe they should be the center of the male gaze and so like for me Marsden sort of was just trying to like ruffle some feathers and he was trying to be dramatic and he was trying to be out there and then maybe by the way he became a feminist ally Mm, that's interesting Mm. yeah not setting out to be but but came one. It's interesting Anyone. how conflicting those two things are where right. it's like, yes, like you should feel empowered to dress how you want to and do all this stuff. But it's like, I don't know, it's different if it's coming like from the woman like doing that as opposed to like the man right. like doing that yes. for and, them. And there's another key scene when um, the three of them go to this like burlesque co- like outfit sh- shop um, and you see the origins of what will become the woman Wonder Woman outfit. Um, and Which that scene is so well done. The lighting on her. Mm-hmm. They've got the red, the blue, the gold. Oh. <laughs> and they uh, and the owner of the shop is this this guy named like Mr. G String yeah. or something. Yeah. Played by JJ Field. J, uh, who I've now learned has been in a lot of other <laughs> stuff. Um, but it's like initially and and he He's, like, teaching William how to do this, like, rope technique for essentially, like, bondage, like, sexual bondage play. But then Elizabeth, you you feel her, and she says outright, like, she's, like, wondering if this is what Olive really, really wants. And then finally she goes up to Olive and is, like, takes the rope and is, like, is this what you want? Um, and then she's the one who actually takes on the, like the continuing, uh, the rope binding. tie binding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I thought that was such an important, interesting, cause at the heart, I mean, the heart of this movie is depicting the sort of sexual nuances of their relationship and how that does connect to Wonder Woman. But another important thing that the director mentions in some interviews is that she actually worked with women in the kink community in Boston to really um, honestly and earnestly depict um, the, specifically this scene. Um, Makes sense. With, it's, it's a community that has a lot of, you know, like a... There are a lot of clearly established rules as it regards consent and things. Exactly. Yeah. So she wanted to honestly depict this consensual um, relationship and this, yeah, and this scene accurately and with respect. Um, and so I think that they're thinking about when things can be sexualized and when, like, just Im- Im- understanding when things are sexualized and not. Like, I really liked how. She, in interviews, talks about it, and you can see it in the movie, how there's a very sort of um, earnest depiction of this particular dynamic um, and uh, and how it unfolds within this scene. Um, so, it, But it is interesting to think about that in relation to watching, yeah, the, the successes of Wonder, like the Wonder Woman movie, mm-hmm. um, as it's not for a very particular, like, like, gays per se um and how like how her outfit is and everything like that um yeah any uh, what do you think might have been the limitations of the movie or did you think there were were there any aspects of it that you didn't think were as six like very successful or 
Well, you mentioned the interview components. Were there other things that come to mind that you're like, mm, I'd want more here, change this? or Yes, and I don't know if this is actually a fault of the movie or if it's just something else I want to explore later. So at the end, you hear that William has died and that everyone else stays the same. They're living together. They have a really healthy relationship, blah, 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 blah. But then you find out that after William's death, Wonder Woman loses her superpowers for a long ass time. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. what the hell's up with that? I want to know more about that. And I wonder like how involved Elizabeth and Olive were and like William's estate and anything else like that. And if they weren't, then I would have liked to see like them dealing with the fact that something that was based on them is turned into something that neither of them probably wanted. Mm. I wonder how much they like cared, you know? That's also a good point. Yeah. Maybe they didn't care. Yeah. But like who, but like who, yeah, you're right. Like, unless that's like kind of brought up, who knows? They probably had almost no control over what happened. I mean, we just have to look at the people who created Superman. They were like basically destitute by the 19, you know, 60s and 70s because DC just screwed them over with all the money and the rights and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I doubt they had any, and I mean, who knows if they wanted it as you brought mm-hmm. up, but they certainly had no creative control. And this is sort of tying into like, Dressing her up in, like, modern, like, 60s clothing and kind of, like, trying to make mm. her more hip with the times and remove her powers and have her become a secretary. I, I mean, it was definitely was she... a roller coaster ride for Marston as far as his contracts with, like, the comic industry or whatever. Um, that they were always, like, being... <laughs> There's one line that uh, his editor says is, like, we got to cut the kink by 60%. <laughs> and he was always <laughs> trying to buck against... Yeah, and so there were moments where he'd have to, like, take... Pa- like, basically... I mean, it was ba- it was banned in 1942 from distribution. So he was always coming up against, um, like, powers that be that wanted, wanted to either... Um, change Wonder Woman or change the story. Um, But there's, yeah, apparently she became the first female superhero to join the Justice Society of America, but she was merely its secretary. So there were a bunch of these offshoots uh, and other writers taking on the Wonder Woman story that were essentially writing very different scenarios for Mm. her. Um, Very different... um, outfits dialogue everything and so and then when he died it basically just got i think subsumed by other store like other characters stories Mm -hmm. um until like a couple decades later but um yeah i'll i i'll have to go i'm fascinated to go back in and actually read some original wonder woman comics because yeah i don't know a whole lot about the superhero universe but this was definitely a nice thing to think about it's kind of what was going on at the time different superheroes mm. were being created it would be interesting to kind of mm. look at other uh superheroes um and think about kind of the time period in which they from which they arose um any last thoughts about Professor Marston and the Wonder Women? Watch it. If you have Hulu, watch it. We Yeah, so if you watch this movie, send us an email. <laughs> we'll, we'll be very curious it's worth it. yeah. to, to hear your thoughts. Um, all right. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a jiffy. I think it's possible to love two people at the same time. Why not? 
lose her freedom, she must find out for herself. Welcome back to Butter With That. We've had some riveting conversation. Uh, we are going to close out with our final segment, and that is the whiteboard question for today. And the question is, in a superhero movie that you create, what would be your opening theme? And by theme, I mean theme song. <laughs> hmm. Anybody want to go first? Mine would be Barracuda by Hart. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great choice. So good. Ooh, that's do you good. have a reason why, or you do? Is the that first song thing pumps me the fuck mm. up. It's As my it should. Wo- yeah, I love it. Um. Well, once you started playing John Carpenter, I was like, oh well, I have to get John Carpenter to write me a song. But specifically, I've never seen this movie, but I'm very excited to. Um, it's a uh, In the Mouth of Madness is one of his best theme songs because it was a little bit later on when John Carpenter was getting into using electric guitar on top of his like weird synthy stuff. So Uh-oh. he's just like old dude doing doing electric guitar. Uh, but Sam Neill is also in that movie. But that's like my favorite. Um, but I was thinking like obviously it has to be like eighties and synthy sounding. Um, but if I can't get John Carpenter to write it, it would have to be Christine because Christine. Uh, oh, that's me. true. <laughs> Christine Christine wrote an amazing song for my partner's birthday, and Christine and Dave do tons of amazing music for this podcast, so I suck the fuck up. How sweet. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Um, I would have to go with either uh, the Queen song, It's Late, from Mm -hmm. News of the World. Um, It's got a really nice, like, Kind of like soft guitar part in the beginning, and then uh, kicks into just uh, Brian May playing the guitar and Freddie singing, and then the full band finally coming in with like literal like dun dun dun, bam da da da, and it's yeah, really great tune, or uh, possibly the chorus of uh, Meatloaf's "Bad Out of Hell." Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> oh my All god, right. hell yeah. amazing! Oh my god, I would love to see the rest of that movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> that music supervision award, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> This question was super hard, but what kind of my mind first went to was Paint It Black mm-hmm. by the Rolling Stones, but specifically Ramin Dajwadi, the guy who does the Game of Thrones and Westworld theme, has an amazing player Ooh. piano version of Paint It Black. I was going to say, the original one's been used in so many things. It has. So it would be nice to have a yes. So Man, the, uh, the Westworld's theme song is so good, right. and then everything else in that show is incredible. So I think something, either something he makes for me personally, mm-hmm. or um, something in the vein of uh, Paint It Black on the player piano, or the um, the when they're in um, Japan. What's the Japan World? What's the name of the? I don't know. Oh, season World? two. They go to Japan World. I forget what it's called. But in the episode um, Akenomai, um, there's like a Japanese inspired version of Paint It Black. That's amazing. Cool. Wait, is this in Westworld? This is in Westworld. But that's that's Westworld season two. Wow. Hmm. Spoiler alert. I mean... No, it's okay. I don't know. It's not necessarily <laughs> a spoiler that, that they go to a different park. Well, I mean, it's a little bit, the universe is like? 
You've had a couple years to watch Westworld season one. I know. One. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Um, I think the first one that came to my mind was the opening, or like the first like fourth of Baba O'Reilly. Oh, like yeah. some just great. <laughs> the first fourth. Well, yeah. I yeah. Mean, movements. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know what the superhero movie would look like, but um, that would definitely be a great opening opening mm-hmm. sequence. I thought of this question ever since uh, I watched uh, Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, the music is so good. And it's not necessarily the op- it's the closing, it's the closing credits. Yeah. Did we plug the closing? That is great. Un- Believable. It's so great. I couldn't as the find team it assembles. online, like as just a song to listen to. I kept finding the song at the beginning. It's definitely like Charlie Brown and Peanuts song. And we were like, "What is the Peanuts?" It's what a wonderful like two things so different yet tied to one main theme. Hell yeah, it's incredible. Wonderful. Well. um... I guess we're closing out. Do we have any uh, things that we would... Actually, I have something that I would like to promote. <gasps> Yay! Um, yeah. So it's uh, my friend Luke's movie blog. Uh, it's called Lenses. And it's really, really wonderful. He said he listened to our rear window uh, cool. episode Throwback. and really liked it. And um, Luke is a, a wonderful... Uh, well, he's a wonderful human being, um, but also beautiful writer and has some really great thoughts about some really cool movies. So check out Lenses. Um, anything cool. else that folks would like to, to promote? I want to plug the podcast. I like to movie movie. Yeah. Um, I just listened to their Us episode. Oh, really? You're going to you're gonna be a better girlfriend than me? I'm going to be a better girlfriend <laughs> than you. Um, they just did a podcast on Us, just talking about it and their top five like favorite movie weapons. Really good episode, hmm. and it made me. Th- it. I mean, what's great about us is they brought up points uh, that I never died even think about, even talking amongst the people who've seen it so far. So it's just like a movie that keeps. God, every di- time I talk to more people, I'm like, oh fuck, you well, thought of something else. Well, and and they sum it up perfectly with like, you know, you leave the theater and you're not, you're like, what was that kind of? I didn't know if I got it, and then you talk to three people, and then you, and then it's like we were on the walk back to your house to because we were watching your dogs mm. the day we saw it. And like, like our like started like snowballing into more That's conversation. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I like to movie movie. Yeah, they're great and friends of the show. Yeah, they're great. I was on one of the episodes a while ago. Um, the night comes for yeah. us. Yeah, Good yeah. With uh, also the main guy in that who was in the raid movies was also in Furious Six that I watched last night, <laughs> which I think might be my favorite Fast and Furious movie. But Ooh. I'm making a list on Letterbox, and as soon as I've watched the first eight. I will release it. But also, I just saw the new Hobbs and Shaw trailer, and holy fuck, that shit looks so There's a good new one? and insane. Yeah, it looks really funny. Um, also, uh, my Chill and Kill Horror Night at Century Bar. Uh, the next one is May 5th. Uh, and in honor of Godzilla coming out in May, uh, we're going to do a Kaiju movie. So, Garrett and I have been watching tons and tons of Godzilla movies. Uh, and we have settled on uh, Godzilla. Mothra and King Ghidra uh, all out monster attack I believe is the full title from 2001 uh, which Mothra's Mothra's my favorite Mothra's Mothra's so fucking dope but King Ghidra is a close second because Ghidra is really cool too does everybody have a favorite Godzilla character there are so many 
I have a special place in my heart for Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla. Oh my god, bad. I love Mecha Godzilla. There's fuck. a Mecha King Ghidra too. No, there's not. They send him to the future. He comes oh. back, and his third head is a robot. Oh. Yeah, I love it. yeah. It's a, it gets crazy. There's another one called Final Wars we watched, and I think there's a total of 15 different trademark kaiju monsters in that, what? which I've heard alluded to that there might be more than just the four in this new one that's coming oh, out. Oh, cool. I think so. so. May 30th. Fuck yeah. May 30th that comes out. Yeah. I'm excited. Stay tuned. Yeah. Oh, and I'm working on my Cronenberg series for Cinema 76. I just got a three-pack of Cronenberg movies, so gonna watch those soon and i just did i just wrote a piece on the brood which should be coming out soon so i recently watched a trip oh wait it's wonderful uh in the criterion collection they have uh interviews with different directors talking Mm -hmm. about movies they love and guillermo del toro talks no no he doesn't i'm sorry i that's lame bill Hader talks about how much he loves the brood but i was watching it because i was watching guillermo del toro's chronos Mm -hmm. and um the brew looks so fucking good. It's the really kids good. in those yeah. snowsuits look fucking freaky. It's great. I also realized uh, watching the movie and doing the research for it afterwards, uh, it is based on a true story that Cronenberg went through when his um, ex-wife or like wife at the time uh, kidnaps their daughter and went to like join a cult and Cronenberg had to go and get his daughter out of a cult. What? And the brood is based on that experience. Yeah. Sounds like Mandy. Fucking crazy. I know. So, yeah. All good stuff. Oh, my God. If if I knew my anger created a little child, like, halfway across town, I'd... There's some I don't stuff know what I would it. do. There's some stuff in it where I was like, I don't know if I totally like what you're saying about women or psychology, but also fuck, man. You went through that shit, so I don't know. Like, I'm like, yes, I would also probably hate my ex, too, and under those circumstances. That is fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, Stay tuned for insights like that and other insights mm-hmm, uh, when you join us next week. For Sam's. For Sam's pick. <laughs> mm. uh, all right. Well, have a wonderful week, everyone. And uh, thanks for supporting. Thanks for supporting us. Send us some emails so I can not cry myself to sleep. <laughs>